Fellowship Mosaic family, would you stand and sing with us as we praise our great King Jesus? fellowship thank you for participating in the elder nomination process after a deliberate season of prayer discussion and seeking the heart of God our elders have three new candidates for the office of elder to present to you hello fellowship my name is Bill Freeze 
My wife, Lee, and I have been attending fellowship for over 15 years. During that time, I've been blessed to be part of small group ministry, such as community group leader, welcome and connection team member, prayer team member, and Discover Fellowship support. Our faith has grown from being members at Fellowship Church, and it's a humbling honor to be nominated as an elder candidate. Hi, Fellowship. My name is Charles Greathouse. My family and I have been attending Fellowship since 2008. My wife, Susan, and I have three children, Jonathan, Zachary, and Charlotte. I'm so grateful for how our body has encouraged, challenged, and led our family to the Word of God over the years. From engaging in and leading community groups to serving in FSM as a cell group leader, I have felt His hand at work in this place and through His people. I'm so very humbled and honored to serve you all as an elder candidate at Fellowship. Hi, my name is Nick Rowland and my wife Cassie and I have been a part of Fellowship for 15 years married together and then many more years before that. And fellowship has been a part of my journey walking with Jesus uh, in so many ways. Going back to middle school and growing up in FSM, I was discipled here and I was taught how to serve here. And as I moved into college and adult years, volunteering in the student ministry and, and reaching a point in my adult life, my early adult life, where I became aware of the desperation of my hurts and my hangups and my habits. And at that time, Celebrate Recovery was a crucial place for me to begin the process of healing. And uh, I've been able to serve in student ministry, on the worship team, in the training center, community groups, and preaching. And it's been just a wonderful place for, for my wife and I to grow. We have a 12-year-old daughter uh, who is thriving here, and my wife serves in the, in, has served in many capacities, currently serves on the worship team. One of the things I appreciate most about this church is the fact that the focus is always put on Jesus and not on any one personality or leader. And so we all are broken people who need Jesus and need grace, and yet the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve in a lot of different ways, and that's a really exciting thing to be a part of. Uh, I'm deeply humbled and honored to be considered as an elder candidate. Thank you, Bill, Charles, and Nick for your willingness to participate in the elder nomination process as a candidate for the office of elder. It's a tremendous responsibility to be an elder of Fellowship Bible Church. Your willingness to be a candidate speaks highly of your character, integrity, commitment to Christ, and service to God through fellowship. Now, if you are a member of our church, we have one more request of you. If for some biblical reason, you feel you cannot follow a particular candidate's leadership, please email me, mirapier at fellowshipnwa.org, stating your biblical objection, and please do so no later than Thursday, February the 29th. After receiving your notice, I will call you personally, and we can discuss your objection, which must have merit based on biblical elder qualifications. We require that all elders have 100% affirmation from our body. If you have no objection, we assume that you are affirming the candidates the elders have set forth from the pool of nominees you provided. Please pray for these new candidates as well as our current elders. And finally, we would like to thank Roger Hill and Scott Thompson for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented our body well and will now become shepherding elders. If you see them, express your gratitude and appreciation for their years of faithful service. Blessings to each of you. Welcome to uh, Mosaic, y'all. I'm, uh, I'm Matt. I work with the kids team here. Uh, we're really glad uh, to be here together tonight. If you're a guest with us, we really do want to know that you're here, and the best, absolute best thing that you can do is uh, just jump on the website at that link, and uh, there's a form there that'll give us all the stuff that we need to really get on your page and get in your life and help you network to uh, the people here. Sometimes it's hard to figure out how to, how to get in in a big place, and we want to help you do that. Um, the staff teams across the fellowship congregations, we're, we're currently in our planning cycle, and uh, the elders kick that off when they draw away for a weekend together, and they pray through the elder candidates. Uh, they, they listen to the Lord about how to distribute the donations that came in during the Christmas season to the, the gift, 
And then finally, they developed some planning parameters for the upcoming ministry year. And the staff team has now received those. We're, we're, we'll talk about them at, at some future point. But would you just join us in prayer that, that we would, as a, a team, that we would lead out in, in listening to the Lord's direction through the elders' guidance in the year ahead? And I included the elders' email address here. It goes to kind of the broad group of them. And I put it there for this reason. I just want us to fill their inbox with thank yous. Um, uh, Tonight, Roger's going to read the scripture for us in a little bit. So thanks, Roger. Um, Scott is being Mr. Scott over in the building there with the little kiddos. He's up on stage again like he is several times a month over there. So just uh, I want to thank them and tell them thanks. And so if you would, would you just... Take a screenshot or whatever you need to do. It's a pretty easy email address if you can remember it. But shoot them a thank you and just let's let's blow that place up. Let's just fill that inbox, all right? And then finally, uh, we are a couple of days into the Lent season. It kicked off on uh, Wednesday on Valentine's Day. And if you missed Valentine's Day, sorry. Uh, but uh, on uh, Ash Wednesday was the same day. And uh, it's going to go through Holy Saturday. It's the day before Easter. During Advent, when we're in the Christmas season, we we light more and more candles as we are anticipating the light coming into the world. We celebrate that with the the birth of Christ. Uh, Lent is the, the undoing of that. It's the darkening over week after week after week as we anticipate his crucifixion and his burial. It's a time of fasting and repenting as we consider the great cost of each of our sin. That debt is paid by Christ on the cross. So Easter is when we blow the doors off at the end of all of it, and we celebrate that the light has finally come back. And so we we have a little uh, book that's in the foyer. It was right between the pillars as you were coming in. Just grab one off the the, the cart there. They're free. Uh, but it, it'll kind of guide your family. If you're kind of out of the kids in the house stage, you want to take one anyway, that's great. If you already have one from previous years, they're, they're the same that we've been handing out for a couple years now. But uh, I, I hope that it is a blessing for you as you uh, step in to this season of just contemplating God's faithfulness to us. And tonight is another opportunity to do that. So would you stand and let us just celebrate God's faithfulness tonight?
Will you just join us and sing this? I will sing of all you've done. And I will sing of all you've done. Let's remember. And I'll remember how far you carried me from the beginning to the end. You Jesus, that is our experience with you. Mm. There was a moment when lights were now. Death had claimed its victory. The king of love has given up his life. Darkest day in history. Try to imagine with your mind's eye. Like they're on the cross made for sinners. Every curse is blood atoned. This is the gospel. The final breath and it is finished. Not the end. Where I'm 
If you're a follower of Jesus, there is a day that is coming when we will see him face to face. Amen. Yes. We will we'll be able to celebrate who he is and to champion our champion who has conquered sin and death. And we'll be able to celebrate that with him face to face. That's good news, isn't it? You know, as a family, as we continue to worship through a time of offering, we'd like to teach you a new song. You game to learn a new song? You are? You game to learn a new song? That's excellent, because if you weren't, it'd be really awkward. So, but this song, it paints a beautiful picture of what it's gonna be like when we see him face to face. You can take a seat for a minute. So as, uh, before we sing it though, I'd like to invite you to allow the inspired vision of Revelation 7 just to wash over you. Just think about these words. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, and held palm branches in their hand and, and, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God and they sang, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen.
Good evening, and uh, on the video you saw that uh, I'll be rotating off the elder board, and it has been a pleasure to serve with Scott, and I see Steve over here, we've had the pleasure to serve with you as well. It has been an honor to serve on the elder board for this church. Laura and I, we've attended fellowship, my wife and I, we've attended for over 30 years, and um, we've had the opportunity of our kids, Haley and um, Hunter, have grown up in this church. And it's a real blessing to come on the weekend and your kids be at church with you as adults. The church fellowship has partnered with Laura and I, and it's just been a tremendous impact to us. I'm honored tonight to read God's word to you. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses, we'll start with verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hi, Fellowship Mosaic. It's really good to see you guys. Sarah and I have been out uh, for a couple weeks, and uh, it is so good to be back with you as we study, as we do this character study on the life of David. You know, as our family was out for the last three or four weeks, um, we were following along and watching uh, worship on live stream. And of course, while I'm so grateful for that opportunity, uh, there was one moment in particular where Sarah and I were watching one of the worship gatherings, and we just turned to turn to each other and said, 
man, I really miss my people. Um, there's just something different about watching online versus being in person and the encouragement and the life-giving community that takes place uh, when we gather to worship Jesus together. Um, we were actually, we've been out the last couple weeks because um, we have a new family member to introduce to you. Um, we were able to welcome Wyatt William Blanchard uh, into our family just about three or four weeks ago. And uh, we are really excited for him to meet you guys and for you to meet him. And uh, as Roger mentioned, it, we're sort of on the, the beginning of sort of that dream of watching our children uh, grow up here at Fellowship, learn to follow Jesus, to be discipled by many of you, and uh, to one day the thought of being able to worship with them or engage in ministry with them, uh, that is a big part of our prayer life uh, in this season. And so we look forward for you to getting to know him. We are in this eight-week series studying the rise and the fall of David. And the two books of the Bible primarily that we're using to study the life of David are First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament. We're studying, in fact, the last couple of weeks, we've been able to look at David's calling, some of his defining moments, his humility, and tonight we're going to take a look at God's blessing on this man's life. Uh, you'll, you'll notice as, as we've looked the, the first few weeks of this series in 1 Samuel, if you study the, the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, you'll, you'll notice that the, the focus of it is really on the preparation for David to one day serve as the king of Israel. And, and so some of the central passages that are sort of defining moments in the life of David are found there in 1 Samuel chapters 15, 16, and 17. And we've unpacked some of those together. Tonight, we, we sort of shift on the character study of David, and we start to actually get in to his service as king, which is really what the focus of 2 Samuel is all about. If 1 Samuel is the focus on his preparation as king, 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel, is a focus on the service of David as king. And just to sort of maybe give you a little bit of the lay of the land, as you study 2 Samuel together... And you see that 2 Samuel records the reign of King David. There's two principles to sort of keep in the back of your mind that sort of work themselves out as we go throughout the book of 2 Samuel. These principles, incidentally, are not only true in the life of David, I think they really do apply to our lives today. And those principles in 2 Samuel that we'll see is that, that man's attitude towards God in this case, David's attitude towards God, it really does create an opportunity for God. That there's something powerful about our posture or our attitude towards God. That a heart that is open to God, that's available to him, that it really opens the door, a powerful opportunity for God to work. But also sort of the flip side of that reality is that God's attitude towards man, as we're going to see God's attitude towards David, it really creates an opportunity for man. And the same is true for the life of a Christ follower. That as a follower of Jesus, when we begin to understand what our identity is like in Christ, what God has said about us, it really gives a powerful opportunity for us. It's almost an invitation into the life that God designed for us. But as we re-enter the biblical storyline tonight on the life of David, we're, we're sort of fast-forwarding a little bit. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7 tonight, David now is at age 30, and he's now king over Israel. He's made Jerusalem the capital city, and he's built a palace for himself. At this moment, David has also brought the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's presence. He's brought that to Jerusalem. And in that moment, David desires to build a temple for the Lord. But he's going to get some instructions from the Lord through a prophet named Nathan. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. 
So let's join the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to take a little bit of a running start or lay a runway to the central passage. So join me in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 7. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And so this may be a little bit confusing, but again, if if we start to to understand the context further, it's really at this moment through David's military victories and conquests that David has provided Israel a level of rest and peace that they had not experienced really since Joshua. And in the ancient Near East, a king's sovereignty was not fully established until he had done two things. One, he had to build for himself a really impressive palace that would speak of and show the nations just how powerful and mighty he is. But then secondly, for a king to really have his sovereignty established, he needed to build a temple for his gods that would highlight just how powerful his gods were. And so it's only natural in that sort of context that David, to sort of establish his sovereignty, to to show the world just how mighty he is as king and how mighty his God is, after building his palace, would want to go about building a temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. And in fact, in the verses just prior to this, Nathan, this prophet, David shares that with him, and Nathan basically gives him the green light and says, I think that's a great idea. You should do it. And yet God here redirects. God is basically telling David in the verses we just read, David, I did not ask you to build a temple for me. And it's important to understand here that that, that God's not disciplining David nor rejecting him, but he is redirecting David's good intentions. And I think that the the principle that, that we can glean from this particular passage is that God does not always allow us to carry out our specific desires to honor him. In fact, servant leaders who are deeply committed to following the leadership of the Lord, we've got to be open to being redirected by God, particularly when it comes to shattered dreams. You know, tonight, have you ever experienced or maybe are currently experiencing some shattered dreams? Do you know what that's like? I think David did here. I think in those moments when we feel that redirecting or we feel some dreams that that started out with such purity being either stripped from us or being redirected, it really is a significant crossroad in our lives. Oftentimes in those moments when we're experiencing sort of the, the weight or the grief or the loss of a dream, It's fair in those moments to to ask ourselves, Lord, is this the result of sin? And if it is, our loving, gracious God calls us to repent, to confess before him and to do an about face and allow him to restore our lives. In fact, David's gonna experience some of that as we work our way through his character study. But then there are other times where dreams feel as if they're shattered and it literally is a moment where we're experiencing the loss of expectation. We're experiencing that moment where unmet expectations are front and center. 
Not, not front and centered, not because of sin, but just because God is redirecting those expectations in our life. And I think in those moments, we're given a powerful invitation to release what feels like shattered dreams and simply to allow God to redirect. And David here is given a choice. Do I listen to God and allow him to redirect? Or do I plow ahead with white knuckles and gritted teeth? You see, in God's hands, so often our greatest disappointments often become our most fruitful sources of ministry. And after God redirects David's dream of building the temple, it's fascinating that on the heels of that, he pronounces one of the most powerful blessings over David's life. And so read with me. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you, he's going to take David on a, a brief sort of biographical sketch, reminding him of what God's been doing the last decade. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people in Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all of your enemy. This is a passage of scripture commonly referred to as the Davidic covenant. God here in an act of grace has actually obligated himself to David with an unconditional and irrevocable covenant of blessing. Notice in this passage, there's no if-then statements, but rather, and we'll see this in the verses that follow, you're gonna see statement after statement where God simply says, I will, I will, I will, I will. In fact, here, God makes four promises to David. Not because of who David is or what David will do or has done, but simply based on who God is. He's gonna make these four promises to David. Number one, in verse nine, we see that he's gonna make a promise to David of I will make your name great. He says in verse 10, I will provide a home for Israel. In verses 10 and 11, he says, I'm going to provide rest from enemies. And, and notice again, who will provide it? It won't be David. It will be God providing it for his people. And then number four, and we're going to look at this a little bit further in the verses that follow. God promises David a never-ending kingdom for David and his heirs. And it's so important when we come to, to a passage that, that is so central in really all of Scripture that we remind ourselves that some of God's promises and prophecies that he provides to David would find their literal fulfillment during David's lifetime or in Solomon's lifetime and others would come about in the future and would actually continue on into eternity. But let's continue as this blessing is sort of rolled out in David's life. Pick up the, verse, or the second half of verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself, again, notice the one who's doing the action here, will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to secede you. 
your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, some translations say if, important distinction, when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In the verses we just read, there's, there's truly sort of a progressive unfolding of David's blessing here. In the immediate future, Solomon, David's son, is going to continue on the throne in Israel. But one of the things that we'll see time and time again, whether we're examining David's life or Solomon's life, is that both of these kings are going to reveal the need for a perfect king. You see, both of these men in the eyes of Israel are going to be held up as it's the promised king that God said we would have. And time and time again, we're going to see that neither of these men are actually capable of being the perfect king that the nation of Israel needed and longed for. And yet God is going to use David and Solomon to reveal the need for the perfect king that's coming. In fact, the, the language is so important in verse 14 with the sort of father-son language that sets the stage for Jesus as the son of God. And when we come to a passage of scripture as important as the Davidic covenant laid out for us here in 2 Samuel, the takeaway the, 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 the powerful truth that we see on the pages of Scripture is that Jesus, the son of David, is the promised king. That, that Jesus will become the perfect king that Israel and the world was in need of. But this concept is so important and vital as it's presented here in 2 Samuel. In fact, you're going to be able this week, if you follow along in the Connect Guide and with the weekly readings and discuss this in your community groups, you're going to be able to read some of these passages. I don't have a slide for it, but if you've got your Bibles, flip with me and take a look at the opening verses of the New Testament in Matthew 1.1. This concept that Jesus the son of David is the promised king. And just imagine how significant this connection would have been to the writers of the New Testament. Notice how Matthew opens his gospel. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This idea that, that Jesus would come through the lineage of King David and would be the promised king, would be the perfect king that Israel and the world so desperately needed is such an important concept in Scripture that the New Testament opens with it. The New Testament closes with this truth in the book of Revelation. Isaiah, with the Christmas prophecy, focuses in on this, and the Easter narrative makes this powerful connection as well. In fact, John Woodhouse, an Old Testament scholar and pastor, take a look at this quote to, to just show you how significant the words of 2 Samuel are. Woodhouse says, The words of 2 Samuel chapter 7 have shaped the history of the world and all eternity. God's blessing of David here points to God's larger redemptive story. You see, really, the Davidic covenant, it is, it's, it ultimately, it's not about David. You see, God, in his graciousness, 
was choosing to bless David and use him in spite of his imperfections and sin. God blessed David, and through him, God would provide the Messiah, Jesus, the promised perfect king. I think it's so important for us to to understand that that ultimately the blessing on David's life was far more about God and who he is than it was about David. And in a similar way, those of us that are followers of Jesus are invited to consider the ways in which God has blessed us. To to ask the question, how has God blessed your life? And if you're a little fuzzy on that, a a powerful place to even begin is to open up Ephesians chapter 1 and just see the spiritual blessings that are promised to those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ and the blessings that God has given every follower of Jesus. But as Christians, to also understand the blessings that we have in Christ, they're not about us. They're about what he has done in our life and longs to do through us. And so for the life of a Christ follower, as we consider the ways that God has blessed us, almost like a reflex reaction to that is to on the heels of that to consider how could God use my life to be a blessing to other people? How could could the blessings that God has given me in Christ, how could my life be almost like conduit to be a blessing to other people In in a similar way that God blessed David and through him God would bless the nations with Christ as the Messiah How has God blessed me so that my life could be a blessing to other people? You know, years ago, this this concept was was really sort of taking root in my life and in Sarah's life and in our marriage. And even this this past year, as as we approach this year, we'll be able to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. And there's sort of a moment where you, you feel like as you approach 20 years and now four kids and being able to to serve fellowship and and our partner churches and to dream of the the church plants that could come one day. There's kind of the realization for us recently that, boy, there feels kind of like there's starting to be a lot at stake, you know? And you you kind of feel as parents like, man, I'd, I'd really like to not screw this stuff up, you know? Like, wow, God has lavished his blessings on us and how we could be a blessing to other people. And And so a few years ago, it actually occurred over a three or four year period of time, Sarah and I started to just list, what would we consider our family values? The things that in our home and in our marriage, we really feel like the the Lord is is sort of drawing us to a set of truths that that we long to instill in our children and, and see multiplied outward. And, and you know, I, I got to admit, you can tease me about this if you need to, but as a good pastor, it just seemed like if we were going to do something significant, it needed to fit into an acrostic. And so we just started with the word Blanchard down one page or one side of the page, and we just started to fill in. So it, it does line up in case you're wondering. Um, we, we started to just sort of fill in sort of the, the, the values, the things that God was leading us towards that seemed to be of most importance to us. And you know what was at the very top of that list? It was the fact that God in Christ had blessed us. And that as long as we were on planet Earth, the cry of our heart is that he would use us to be a blessing to other people. And it's something as a family we talk about frequently. We talk about often with our girls, whether it's showing up to community group or showing up to Mosaic on Saturday night or you know, blessing someone with a meal or building relationships with neighbors or inviting people into our home. It's like girls, and now why? I gotta quit saying girls because I'm not just a girl dad now, I got a son. But kids, like the Blanchards, we bless other people. 
And you may notice also at the top of that list, because this is of high value and it maybe just speaks to the quirkiness of who we are, that, that laughter in our home is of high value. And sort of, sort of like if we do two things and that's it, that as Blanchards, could we bless others and could we laugh hard often together? And that began to sort of shape the family values that, that we long over the next several decades as we string them together that God might produce in our home. And so I invite you, Mosaic, in light of the blessing that we see that God placed on David's life, and through that blessing would one day provide Jesus, the promised perfect king, to be the savior of the world, for us as the body of Christ to simply consider how has God blessed us? How has he blessed you? And through the illumination of his word and the empowering presence of Christ in our life to be invited into a space where we could begin to dream how God might use us, how God might use you to be a blessing to the people around you, to be a blessing in Northwest Arkansas, to be a blessing to the nations, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to people who may not know of his goodness. Mosaic, would you pray with me? Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being a promise maker and a promise keeper. Lord, thank you for the promises that you made to David and the ways that you blessed his life and through him provided the perfect promise, Savior, Jesus. God, as a church, we say thank you to Jesus. And we invite you to show us as your people how you have blessed us and how you want to use us to be a blessing to other people. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Mosaic families, we leave this place, how do we do it? How do we accept that challenge to be a blessing out there? I believe the place to start is to keep our focus intently on that promised perfect king. You know, the writer of Hebrews encourages us to get rid of anything that would slow us down, especially the sin that tends to trip us up and to run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So how do we be that blessing? We fix our eyes on the champion, the initiator, the perfecter of our faith, the promised perfect king. And I pray as we sing this last song that it would be a declaration of our intention to do just that. So pray these words with us.
worship with you. Um, if you're new and you wanna meet somebody out in the foyer in the center, there's a welcome booth. And we encourage you to just go out there. If you just wanna have a great conversation with a really kind human, you can also do that, okay, or get connected. Um, also, if you desire prayer for any reason at all, um, the back area of the worship center is set aside for that right after service. So you can linger back there and someone will come and pray with you. Um, but for now, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. <laughs>